Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Artful Athlete podcast. This week I'm very excited because I have a guest on whom I met a year ago at a breathing event and we said we'd keep in touch and we didn't see each other for a year and somehow reconnected. She's a brilliant sound healer and a wonderful human. Please welcome Valerie. Hi Val. Hi, thank you so much, Segolan, for inviting me onto the podcast today. Ooh, thank you for coming in. It's it's very, yeah, I was thinking about it preparing for, for our little session. It's so timely that we reconnected literally a year after having met each other. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? Hopefully we will have crossed paths sooner um, had it not been for the pandemic. But here we are. It was meant to be. And I'm so glad to have reconnected. Oh, yeah, this little pandemic, as much as it has been tearing people apart, it, it has also been bringing things into life that maybe we needed a little bit more of. So clearly, I needed more of your wisdom. <sighs> I'm honoured to think so, and also receive yours too. Sharing is caring. My lovely, what have you been up to? You're a sound healer, you're a breath worker, you're a powerhouse of a woman. Tell the good people more. What is it you do? Well, I like to call myself more of a self-care and well-being facilitator. And I'm still working on a title that I'm happy with, but definitely moving away from teacher and specifically yoga teacher, because I feel like that carries a lot of implications, shall I say, that I'm not necessarily on board with, especially with regards to the guru culture or the sort of teacher teaches you from a top-down association I very much feel like I've been through and learned a set of tools that have helped me and I know have helped other people along the way so I offer them out to whoever needs them and hopefully that ego is taken out of the equation more so than a teacher's would be. Huh, I like that it is true that when you first get into yoga you understand the the fact that you need to have a guru i was speaking about it with um dale salomon from down to flow and he told me about how he got into his yoga teacher training and he said i lied because you you needed to have a guru have someone have done this amount of time with some a very specific method and i knew nothing i just wanted to learn for me and here i am today and i think this part of it is many things so the fact that you need to have someone that you must have been the disciple of in a way removes a little bit from the teaching removes a little bit from the essence of what you're teaching really because then it diminishes it to oh the method that that person uses well and I also think each person can share some wisdom with you that another person wouldn't and you've got to come into the path of these teachers and healers and supporters and facilitators at a time that's right for you. There's no universal method that's going to work for everyone because everyone is unique and carries different experiences, joys, traumas, and holds all of these in different ways. So anyone who's out there trying to sell you a quick fix method or one size fits all definitely doesn't resonate with me. And I'm trying to put that out there to other teachers and gurus and sharers to yeah just consider how they name themselves it's very important the title i know that being french the title that you have in the work that you do is considered very important because it really will define how you 
appear and are being perceived by everyone else. I know I, I struggled a lot with finding mine because when you're, I'm on the, I'm at the frontier between arts and wellness. I didn't find anyone that was very much treading that line as much as I am working both with performers and with humans and showing them that you can get the best of both worlds. It's very important to just remember, as you said, there is no one method for anything and there is no one size fits all. Otherwise, we would all be sharing the same clothes. And we'd all have one formula that works for everyone, but that's just absolutely not the case. And I actually think with this pandemic and everything moving online for this period of time, that it's really given power back to the people because, you know, if you come sign up to a class or session and it's not working for you, you just exit the meeting and there's no space for my ego to get upset by that. I just carry on and know that that person wasn't receiving what I had to offer in that day. And that's cool. It just takes the shame and fear and judgment away from the process where if I've been in a class in an unnamed studio doing something and the facilitator makes me feel uncomfortable or shames me consciously or subconsciously, I sort of have to stay there and suffer in silence for 75 minutes because I paid to be there but also because it's awkward for me to physically remove my body and walk out. Whereas leave meeting on Zoom is pretty easy, right? And I'm hoping that it just empowers people to actually take ownership of what they need. And if it's not working for them to step away too. That is very true. I didn't think of that. But yeah, if I, if you felt embarrassed, you know, in a sports class, you would have to endure like the, the weight of your decision and the weight of your actions within that setting and you would only be set free by escaping at the end whereas it's true if you're doing an online class or i've personally done a lot of youtube videos and challenges during the first lockdown and if one was just not doing it for me it's fine just go back pick another one i didn't have to put myself through something that clearly did not make me feel good and did not resonate with what I needed at that time. I think that's so important and so empowering for people to know instead of being told by well-being marketers or healing propaganda, <laughs> what's, what's good for you? What do you need? Actually inviting people to ask and choose for themselves. What is it? What is it that I need? Do I need to sweat more? Do I need to really back off and go into a realm of conscious rest? Do I need to do nothing? Do I need to emotionally eat some foods to fill a hole in my life that is only being met by Ben and Jerry's not sponsored ice cream? <laughs> Self-care comes in all shapes and sizes, just as life and life experiences and people come in all shades, all shapes, all sizes. And I think and hope that this approach towards looking after yourself and taking care of yourself and therefore others around you is just going to take off on the basis of what everyone's learned through this pandemic. There's one thing I feel a lot of people have learned and are learning still is the priorities in life. The, the ones that they used to have were not conducive to feeling whole as a human, no matter the realm, the connection that you had with the people. This isolation has forced everyone to just have a sit down with everything they were running away from. 
myself included, we, we've all been, you know, doing some shadow work and some, hi, it's that time where you sit down with that memory from, I don't know, six months ago where you said this and that person said that. And you just sit down, process, regroup, regather your strength inside and then go back out and see how it works. You're not letting things fester anymore because you were com- you were forced to have that sit down. And actually one of the most profound lessons I learned um, in, in my journey as well, coming to becoming who I am now and sharing self-care and well-being is the only way out is through. You can keep suppressing and suppressing and suppressing, whether that's what you're being told to do by societal expectations and expectations that you put on yourself or you can take medication whatever form that comes in and you know hide your symptoms or you can face it in a safe hopefully facilitated environment and move through it because at the end of the day we're like volcanoes right the pressure is just going to build and build and build and build and at some point a beautiful yet devastating explosion is going to happen and it's going to destroy a lot in its wake but after the eruption, the land around the volcano once again becomes incredibly fertile. And it's just a cycle. It just keeps going round and round. I like the image of the volcano. It's throwing me back to my own burnout in 2018, where I felt I had exploded, but inside. So it was very much an inward implosion, explosion of a volcano. And then afterwards, yeah, I started creating for me and everything and piecing everything back together and you get well I got anyway a lot more connected to what I was doing and I feel my imagination and the way I create and the way I handle self-care and help people in what I do as well is more fruitful than it used to be. On that note I'm really interested so in the way you approach self-care and in your practice and what you bring to people you I mean, I'm very excited about this because I just I discovered this only very recently. I mean, very recently, a year and a half ago, maybe I discovered sound healing and 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 crisp and crystal balls and and gong baths and music heals my soul. It always had. It's been one of these things. If you had an emotion to evacuate, putting in that one song that you know speaks to your soul or that triggers you or that you know gives you a lift of energy, that was the way to go for me. But sound healing. Wisdom, magic, things, sound. Well, it's, it's, I completely empathize with what you're saying as well. And I feel like for so many of us, the first sense that we're awakened to when we come into this world, before we're even in the world, when we're being carried in a womb, the first thing that we are attuned to is the sound of your mother's heartbeat. And in a in some Peruvian Andean healing traditions, they use um, rattles to mimic the sound of your mother's heartbeat as a way to kind of invite your conscious state and your conscious thinking mind into a healing state as a gateway as a portal and I think for many people connecting to sound in vibrational form as well as in the sound that you hear um, can be incredibly powerful and what I love about it so much I love so much about it but I feel like it intersects science and magic in the sense that I can explain to you the science of brain waves and how um, certain frequencies um, that are shared in some of the instruments used in a sound bath can stimulate deeper states of relaxation. But in an ex- when you're experiencing it in the moment, the science almost doesn't matter because you feel and that it's getting you to connect with all the feelings that you may not even might not even know are within you. Sorry, my dogs are 
I am keeping this in. You can't see this because it's an audio format, but there is the fluffiest dog that just jumped right behind Valerie. Um, also, what I love about it is that it sound is something that you it it's suitable for even the most overstimulated, stressed out, burnt out, exhausted person. You know, when you ask someone who's just completely depleted and I know you've been there and I've been there I was there sort of in 2017 having supported and cared for my father for a year and a half when he wasn't well and he ended up passing in uh, March of 2018 but by the time he'd passed I think I was already in my own burnout stage and so unable to process anything and if at that point someone had asked me to engage with a self-care modality that involved active participation I don't think I would have had it in me to get myself to sit up from bed and take my get dressed brush my teeth take myself to the gym or to a yoga studio or to the therapist and at that time I hadn't discovered yet passive ways of support let's call them where sound bath sound healing is a perfect example of you know if you turn up and you're present and you're able to be present in your attention in your body you're physically asked to do nothing you're you're there you're lying down or sitting up in a comfortable place you've got warm layers on to support the body when it goes into deep states of relaxation when your core body temperature drops and all you're asked to do is pay attention to the sounds that you hear and any thoughts or feelings that may arise in the body and in the mind and that's it the sound frequencies that are shared and the breathing patterns that generally open a session invite your body to subconsciously slow down and the sounds that come start to stimulate you in the brain waves from a beta to an alpha state first um it stimulates your nervous system to down regulate normally from that stress fight flight status down into a more rest and digest state so your parasympathetic nervous system is activated At the start of a sound bath, when you come into that more relaxed state of being, our brain waves uh, move from a beta frequency to an alpha frequency. And that means that we're, again, yeah, taking conscious cognitive thinking state and diving a little bit more into that mellow, resting, not a TV watching state but more of a sitting for a guided or mindful meditation state. And normally that's where we sort of end up when we do restorative breathing exercises um, or take a headspace pen, let's say. But in a sound bar, there's potential for us to move down to the next level of uh, brainwave stimulation, which is your theta wave state. And that's a state where you're in that liminal, not quite asleep, not quite awake daydream like state is can be quite difficult to access without support and it's also known when you're sleeping as the phases of rapid eye movement REM sleep and is often when you're caught dreaming when you're sleeping just about when you're not too deep into the levels of sort of deep deep delta rest and that has also been proven to be a state in which really sort of creative thinking can emerge, moments of inspiration, emotional release can happen. So being guided into that state without very much conscious effort can be so supportive for some people, especially if you're feeling just so tired, so stressed, so clueless and overstimulated to the point that you can't 
consciously engage yourself to get there that makes sense yeah totally and I just found it such a source of support for myself and for others that I know that struggled to make the time or find the effort or the energy to carry themselves somewhere else that's not to say that there's lots of other modalities that I work with that are very efficient and you know, get great results if it's at the right time of your journey but for me personally there was a point in my relationship with poor mental health where this was you know, a passive intervention was what I needed and a very sort of supportive and inclusive and non-judgmental intervention was what I needed because I do also like to warn people that you know the imagery that you see around sound healing sound meditations is super zen these like really beautiful looking instruments and everyone's lying on cushions and eye pillows and fancy studios and everything else but you know sometimes it can like a therapy session it can be very revealing and very uncomfortable because what the vibrations of these pure harmonious frequency instruments is doing is it's actually getting into the parts of your body that are in disharmony and trying to just rebalance a few things and there's an analogy that um a sound healer called Sarah Oster uses that I like um which is that it's like a washing machine really sometimes <laughs> the dirty laundry goes in and it's not the most pleasant experience as it spins and spins and spins but you know at the end of it the clothes that come out are clean and you come out of it feeling <laughs> reset I love that image right now also because when you said washing machine there's one thing that I like it's the vibration it makes when it's on the spinning cycle and depending on whether I'm here in the UK or I'm visiting my parents the sound of the washing machine is one of these staples in the household isn't it and when you have a very quiet one you kind of just go is it spinning is it not spinning and it's 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 I don't know maybe I'm just a weirdo here that is very much deeply connected to my washing machine <laughs> but it says a lot it says a lot on you know the state of the washing machine and I find also just the vibrations of it and against whatever it is leaning on, be it the wall or like the, the wooden floor, if you have wooden floor there, it, it, the sound is not the same. And it's one of these that my ear picks up on. Unsure if it's trying to tell me that maybe I do need uh, to listen to a gong because that would be a more pleasant way of hearing vibrations. But I do find it soothing. Based on what you just said about washing machines and your associations with them, another thing I love about the modality of sound is that everyone's relationship with it is different, right? In the way that you've just shared your washing machine, actually the sound of a washing machine vibrating reminds you of home and is sort of a constant for you. That might be completely different for someone else. Like my association with it is, oh, in 39 minutes, I've got to go and put the laundry up. <laughs> but, you know, but for me, a sound that I always find comfort from is bird song because, you know, I live in hustle bustle London but I still hear in the mornings when I do my meditation bird song in the background and it's a constant that when I go out in nature I also hear it and I think a lot of people associate with nature sounds from like a pri on a, on a primal level and on a very deep level from our sort of millions of years old ancestors you know living in the wild you know bird song is actually a sign of safety because when the birds stop chirping, that's when a predator is knocking around and that's when you got to get up and go, which is why a lot of people struggle in silence and to meditate in silence or to sit or be in silence because deeply in our brains and in our cognition, I believe that we associate complete 
silence with danger. Totally. It's making, it's reminding me of uh, back when I was uh, in high school, back in France, uh, we went to, I was in a, in an international school. I did French German studies. And so we went all the way to Berlin, uh, my first year of high school. And we went to visit a concentration camp, which was right in the, in the near vicinity of Berlin. And as we got off the train to start walking there, we were just, you know, teenagers. So we were talking and gradually we stopped talking just because, as you said, one of the things that we notice is bird songs, sounds of nature. And as we were getting closer and closer to that place, there was not a single bird song, not and there were there were trees. There was a big wood <laughs> right next to to the the, the cat set, but not a single bird to be seen or heard. And this this is a um, a feeling and a soundscape that has stayed with me a lot. I've got a big tree by my window. I live in London as well, hustle bustle. But I'm very lucky that there's a beautiful park nearby, and I love going there. It's an ecological park, so it looks a little bit like a forest, and you have all of my favorite birds going there and just being their birdie selves. And even the seagulls, I don't mind them. I think seaside, I think childhood, I think family, it's great. <laughs> but when there is that sense of silence, this is, there is impending doom and dread when silence is actually also very needed and healing. Think about it, when everyone was commuting, it was rare to see someone not wearing headphones on the tube. Because need, need sound, need music, need something to listen to so that I don't hear anything else. We needed to go back to silence, but silence still felt ominous for that time. It's interesting. Silence has different shades as well. You know, often at the end of a movement session or a sound meditation or, you know, any sort of guided breathing exercise or anything, the silence after that, when it's when it follows a self-care practice, let's call it, mm-hmm. would sound, I would imagine, very, very different to the sound of silence you described when you were on that school trip. But there's only one word for it, right? It doesn't quite cover the different shades of it. And you know, sometimes people fear it and I think are scared when they're not used to sitting and just observing their thoughts. And there might be some good reasons it might be a trauma trigger and and that's okay i'm not here to judge no we shouldn't be here to no we're not yeah that's um not accepted which is why i think a lot of people who maybe struggle with it turn to nature sounds or sound meditation as a as a gateway into a, a state change yeah embracing finding a way into understanding and embracing the new sound scenery that they're presented with and the effect it has on them Because as you said earlier, one of the things you get from receiving a sound bath is a sense of release and emotional release because you've reached that state of deep relaxation, deep neuro relaxation. And if the mind and the nerve is relaxed, the body is relaxed. They kind of live together and go hand in hand. It's one of these things. And our bodies, you know, they're the physical, the, the flesh that experiences life and they take on stuff that is experienced from within from inside in in the way that you connect to an emotion in the way that you process something that has been said to you or something that you've experienced and you can accumulate a build-up 
of emotion in certain places. And it's interesting because I know you wrote an article about emotions in the body and in performance as an actress, this is something we, as actors, we, we explore, <laughs> we explore. You're not going to have, you're not going to portray anger, for example, the same way, depending on where you send it, of where it sits in the body. If it is an erratic hysteria, hysteria, clues in the word, it's going to be very belly, very lower belly, ovaries, because this is where the word come from. And it's, it's close to the root. It's something that's grounded. But you also have that cold anger that sits somewhere in between the chest and the root, where you're just very stern and planted and you say things that you know will hurt. It's, you know, they sit in these different places in the body in performance and we go and explore where they resonate in order to portray them as truthfully as possible on stage or on film, screen, radio, whatever it is you're doing. But in life, what do, how can we figure out what emotion is needing to be released by tuning into certain parts of our body? Very big question there. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is I very much resonate. It's not my quote, so please don't attribute it to me. But I've, I've read again and again that pain is the body's way of communicating to us that something is not right. And, you know, the louder the pain, the louder the message, because we've ignored the message that has been coming through up until that point you know it's its body's way of trying to communicate with us so if you feel dis-ease discomfort or out of balance in a part of yourself and that is going to be different for each and every one of us because no two people walk through this earth and go through the same things whether it's you know victories or traumas in the same way um, if you feel something that's not quite right in your body instead of ignoring it like when when you feel like you have the resources to deal with it that's definitely the time to let it go I'm not one I don't love attaching feelings to emotions because I think sometimes that can get a little bit into psychoanalysis and if you don't fit into an archetype you think something's wrong with you or that you know you're an irregular person I'm very much more of the belief system that you know if it's meant if it's not meant to be with you anymore you've just let go and find a way to let it go whether that's through a more subconscious and passive release in a sound meditation setting or if you go and get a deep tissue massage and just knead it out and then drink lots of water and then wee it out and then it's gone right <laughs> it's not glamorous you've got to get it out of you somehow you know I think that's why a lot of people enjoy high impact or cardio exercise where you just sweat all the grief all the frustration out of your pores and I don't know about you, but some days sweat comes at different volumes in different parts of the body because clearly I need to detox one bit of myself more than another. And I'm not going to sit there and psychoanalyze between my armpits. <laughs> it, you're, you're just going to go and have a shower and be done with it and then move on with your life, knowing that you've shared whatever you need to shed and you left it behind and that's all you need to do. I think sometimes to sit and to relive and re-traumatize yourself can be worse than if you just accept that, oh, something's not quite right here. What can I do to release it, let it go? And then you walk away with it feeling a bit lighter, feeling like you're more in balance and more in tune with yourself. I like the sweating analogy because there are times when I'll do a workout or a yoga session and I've done it before but maybe not in a few days and I'm surprised or sometimes even annoyed and questioning huh 
I have not sweated as much as I normally do. Uh, what is wrong? And yes, I go French when I do that. But and then I I, I actually go into <laughs> psychoanalysis of okay, didn't sweat a lot. What happened? What did you not do this time? And it 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 removes the fun out of the releasing part because you don't acknowledge what you've just achieved, even if it's forty minutes of movement or fifty minutes of powerful twisting detox yoga session it, it takes you away from what you've just achieved which you know you could have not done it you could have gone and done something completely different and that would have been okay too but you decided to do this and you made it through so congratulations that's one of, that's why one of the reasons i always say when i do a breath session with someone congratulations you made it through because breath work has the word work in it <laughs> Oh, yeah. And um, I mean, I guess there are some generalizations that, you know, can can be made and apply to a lot of people. So, you know, if you have any blockages in your throat or if you have a persistent cough or just sort of that discomfort, um, maybe issues with your tonsils, it can be often connected to the fact that you're not communicated to your throat chakra or on the tantric chakra system or that you're not you're just holding back a lot that you haven't been saying you you've been swallowing a lot holding back and you know ways to clear your this part of your body humming singing you're the voice expert you know or exercises that mean you you're walking around talking gibberish there's an osho meditation which is the gibberish meditation where you walk around for 30 minutes plus just speaking gibberish as a way for you to just you know the action of talking and speaking your truth and channeling emotions without attaching them to words I love that I need that in my life because that's kind of how I connected to English when I was a kid you we we have this thing called uh yaourt like yogurt and you'd be trying to make the sound of what English is but it it, it, it was gibberish it actually meant nothing and that's how I personally got some languages in my mouth I did it with English I did it with German I'm doing it a bit at the moment with Italian that I'm learning it's it, it gets it <laughs> it gives you the possibility of having a mouthful of the language and just seeing okay where do the sound normally go in there and what does it do and then you you learn the words and the meaning and my my kids that i used to teach german and english to the first few things i would say is yeah we're going to talk gibberish but also i'm going to teach you every single swear word that I know in this language. This is your first lesson. You're gonna learn how to swear. Because also it removed the pressure of the language. It removes the it's not it's not political correctness, it but it's you know, you put the language on a pedestal because oh, it's spoken by someone else, it's a new system, it's mathematic, I have to, you know, abide by the rules. Yes, but remember words are words, and what's more important is not the word itself, but how you come through in that soundscape. And it's interesting what you were saying as well, because in in order to release the voice, a lot of exercises that we'll do, for example, if you have a lot of uh, if you have a sore throat, then you if you have some phlegm at the back, doing Z's, closing your mouth and just doing a z sound pretending you're speaking but just doing a z is actually going to tickle everything alongside the right above the voice box and it clears the throat completely out sending vibrations lower to the chest 
helps remove any little extra thing that has established a home in your lungs and then you stick it back out because you know there's no glamorous way of, of doing this hydration and spitting i'm definitely gonna try that one out the next time i feel a little tickle in my throat thank you <laughs> z's z's are the way forward which sounds weird when you say it like that but it's also very satisfying z's are the way forward z's are the way forward that could work too buzz like a bee that too but no it's it's really interesting to see all of these different systems and belief around the body and around the places where we store emotions for example in in one thing that i was looking into this week is the in chinese medicine and the meridian medicine looking at the meridian of the stomach which travels from the side of the neck goes goes from the side of the head, sorry, goes down the neck and then near the shoulder. So not anywhere near the stomach and then just travels there. But you know that if you go massage a point right underneath your clavicle, that it actually helps contribute to releasing stagnant thought and energies and emotion. And um, I was researching anger and how you diffuse it in the body uh, for a series of episodes I'm working on at the moment. And it was really interesting to see the, com the correlation between stomach and anger because hangry is a thing. It's not a word that really exists in French, but it's a word that exists in English and it's very true. <laughs> so the fact that anger is connected to the stomach is, huh. It was a, oh yes, it makes sense type of moment. But we do have all of these different methods and they're often quite ancient. These, I, I almost want to call them mythologies because they, we didn't have obviously the means to do hardcore scientific research at the time for this. But, you know, when Hippocrates was around, when Ayurvedic science was invented, when, you know, Chinese meridian medicine was being explored as well, you didn't have anything but the experience of the body being presented to you to deal with, to understand what it could be connected to. And the fact that they, that these different schools, the, these different belief system went to emotions, the effect they have on the body, I find that truly fascinating. Because it highlights also the fact that one size does not fit all. One system does not work for everyone. So let's explore something else, okay? You came in because you had some acidity, say, in your stomach. And that person might have had an ulcer. But that other person was dealing with anger. Absolutely. And I almost think it's interesting that in traditional healing maps and um, systems, we paid so much more attention to what the person is feeling and the emotions and physical sensations more so than western scientific modern medicine in inverted commas does in the sense that you know now we study symptoms and signs and you know, cause and effect but you so often hear that unless a doctor or practitioner is taking a holistic approach which can sometimes be seen as, you know, a hippie approach or an alternative approach that the patient doesn't often have their emotional well-being considered, their thoughts, their state of mind, their state of being beyond what markers are being shown on their blood panel. And, you know, it was something that I definitely grappled with when my father wasn't well, because I 
at the time didn't have the information that I do now and the reading and the training and the understanding I have now about the importance of not just the mind-body connection, but just the whole, your whole state needs to be considered when you're undergoing ongoing long-term treatments for a chronic tradition. He had heart failure and it was incredibly difficult to just see him, his health being judged by, you know, what was coming back on tests and you know tests on his urine tests on his blood and rather than actually seeing the person before me that was just fading away piece by piece and you know not being able to convey that in a language that the doctors that were looking after him would understand and you know I hear in researching for this podcast episode I I've been looking up medical doctors now that are being very vocal about their approach towards lifestyle medicine and taking to into account someone's mental state of being and someone's stress and sleep levels and what they're eating as you know as well as what's being shared by their blood by their urine by everything else that you study because you can't get the true measure of someone's health when you only look at one tiny segment of it. And there's so much out there that we haven't figured out how to document, how to share, how to kind of understand on a cognitive level. I, I, can't, I can't communicate to my dogs, but when I'm teaching a class in my living room or sharing a class in my living room, they complete, they drop into different states. They, they are deep into their alpha and theta state. You know, nothing will get them riled up in that hour that I've got my balls out or if I'm sharing a session and I can't explain that I can't communicate to them and talk to them but you know there are things I think we need to acknowledge that there's power beyond what we can comprehend in some of these things that we're using as self-care techniques at the moment and that I guess my deepest hope is that more and more people in the medical profession will start to recognize that as well and that more studies can be done to back up what we already know and what wisdom traditions have known for millennia in how to look after their people. And that one does not exclude the other. Absolutely. They all, everything goes hand in hand, totally. And I do, I do to go back to how you, what title, and I'm using the brackety finger thing here, um, you were looking for for yourself. And it's true that you bring self-care you bring an awareness as to how you can care for yourself in your teaching and in, in your business, in your business that you've got going on as well. And this is what I feel a lot of people are trying to reconnect to and trying to learn again, learning to fall in love with themselves again, learning to, you know, in many ways, not to quote the Foo Fighters, but you're learning to walk again. <laughs> I've been using that sentence a lot today because there's some writing I'm doing. Um, but it is true. It is true. We're all learning to walk in new shoes in a new world, in a new site as well. And it's very important. And your teachings are very important in that sense as well. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I, yeah, I still, I'm grappling with the word teaching and teacher, but you know, I think sharing and sharing my own experience, you sharing your experience, and then also sharing what we've learned on our journeys into helping ourselves and helping others, hopefully just means that we're encouraging everyone else to start to choose for themselves rather than just accept what they're told is best for them. You know, 
if you don't believe that eating 30 different types of fruit and vegetable and grains is good for you, try for yourself one week, eat McDonald's seven days a week, and then try eating a diet that is balanced and homemade if you have the privilege of time, of course, and then see and then see what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And I mean, I'm not advocating that you do that. (laughs) I'll just clarify that. But my hope with this chat and also um, the business I've just launched, which is called Vanna, is to encourage more and more people to take ownership for what feels good and right in their bodies and their whole selves and not one size fits all and what works for you and I might not work for someone else but to not give up until you find the right alchemy for you and that might also change as your life changes too. We all know that optimal sleep is good for us, eight hours seven eight hours nine hours but you know if you've got a young toddler that's just not possible and that's okay find other ways to supplement your rest and restorative practices even if you can't afford to sleep as much and a little bit is better than none completely and once again yeah it it's about what feels right for you it's about bringing just seeing if you're comfortable if you notice changes in your body in your mindset in your mental in if you're overwhelmed with emotions or if on the opposite side you're developing some form of apathy towards things it's all about seeing what's going on for you right now in that moment in that current situation and finding the tools to get you back to a state of balance but it's all about how you feel and your experience of it not just an imposed situation or belief of how you should be feeling at that point. Absolutely. If someone's telling you how you should feel, run a mile, please run, run a hundred miles <laughs> until you, until you land at someone that is willing to center your experience and your need. That is, that is what needs to happen for true self-care. And we all know that when you look after yourself, it ripples out beyond you because every other interaction that you have beyond yourself is going to be positively impacted as well. Completely. And on that beautiful nugget of wisdom, where can the good people of this podcast listening right now find you, your work, your wonderful philosophy? So my name is Valerie Tay. I have a website, ValerieTay.com. I'm on Instagram, Valerie.Tay. And my business is Vanna. And we are on WeAreVanna, V-A-N-A dot and it's been a real real pleasure to be here today thank you so much for inviting me on to the artful athlete thank you so much for coming along it's it's i really feel that we reconnected for a good reason for a good reason time to yes yes we are and it was a wonderful breath work that we did back then and you know she and dan thanks <laughs> and uh, and we'll be i'm sure hearing more of you and on the wisdom and the magic that you'll be bringing us for the next few years and centuries to come. Thank you, Sego. Take care. You too. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today for another episode of The Artful Athlete. Don't forget, you still have your standard weekly episode on Thursdays. And we'll have a couple more guests coming on, coming on, coming up, both. I'll speak to you very soon. <laughs>